You are listening to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. Once again, Matt, I'm here. Jason, are you here? Matthew Helgeson, that was the most melodic intro I've heard from you yet. Thank that you. was that was a distinctly uh, like lyrical intro. I loved it. Well, I'm very happy because we have a good friend, a former colleague, a great guest, and a couple of great albums to talk about. So please welcome, with no further ado, to the show. Former game and former editor, currently employed by the uh, private equity firm MinMax that owns our podcast. Um, <laughs> gentleman Joe Juba, how's it going, Joe? Hello, yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, yeah. To answer your question, I am a MinMax contributor. Okay, mm. so you're not quite under the thumb. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's still, I'm still a rebel. I'm still, I can still go rogue. We always make Hanson sound to be such a like ogre on the show for no reason. He's iron Fist, yeah. <laughs> He's like the nicest, most enthusiastic guy in the world. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so Joe, uh, it's fun to hang out. It's fun to talk to you, and um, I'm excited that you were here. So thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we're here to talk about um, a group I think many of you are probably familiar with, and and uh, definitely been a well known band for a, a long time. Uh, the Mountain Goats, and we're Joe's pick. From the Mountain Goats discography is Heretic Pride. Um, I can't. What year was this, Joe? I actually, in all my research, I forgot to look. It's probably uh, ten years ago, maybe. Jeez, I think it's '08. I okay, actually, yeah. I actually forgot to look it up too, but I think it's around there. Yeah, they do a lot of albums. I mean, they have a. I mean, they release like pretty much once a year. I'd say, if not more. So <laughs> or yeah, like been... <laughs> three this last year in 2021. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose with COVID and everything, it's been a lot of a lot of time to. Just but, write songs and things. So yeah, um, it was, I know it you're was big 2008. Fan. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that's a long time ago already. Wow. Um, but yes, I, I remember buying this CD back then, and I, I'm a big fan of the Mountain Goats as well. Um, they have like a ton of great albums. Uh, I think a lot of different people have different favorites within that. Um, why, in particular, of of you know all the Mountain Goats albums that you you're familiar with? Why did you choose Heretic Pride? Yeah. So I, well, okay. Ba to back up a little bit, there were basically like three main reasons why this was the album that I wanted to talk about. Uh, well, first, just wanting to talk about Mountain Goats in general, because that is effectively one of the only bands that I can really t like carry on a conversation about. Uh, they are definitely like my favorite band. And as someone who doesn't have your, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have your, uh, what would you say? insatiable uh, hunger for music <laughs> for, for, you don't have a personality disorder <laughs> um so you know like I, I my my approach to music in a lot of ways is like i i'm more one of those people who like finds a handful of bands that i really like and just sort of drill really deep on them right and uh the mountain goats is is one of those for me but and then uh a second reason is that I wanted to talk about this with you specifically because I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but like you are the person who introduced me to the Mountain Goats. I think I remember that. What was maybe the album that was out? Do you remember like the album or I do? What was so I, I don't know if this was the most current album at the time, but it was the one you recommended, which was uh, the Sunset Tree. Because oh yeah, which that's a that's a great album. You and I were you know we we're talking about music or something in in the office, and you know. I don't even remember. This was very early in my time in GI. It must have been like 04 or 05, I think. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you were sort of like, well, hey, like, what what do you listen to? What do you like? And I mean, honestly, I don't even know what I would have told you back then. Probably something like Tom Waits and Elliot Smith is probably what I was listening to. Something like that. Whatever I had said, you sort of extrapolated from that. Like, oh, you like these sort of singer songwriter with a guitar kind of things. You should try the mountain goats. And you brought in the sunset tree for me. This was like so far. This was like before widespread digital distribution of stuff. And you just sort of. Yeah, <laughs> like brought in the wow, CD. That's, a, that's kind of a. I mean, that's a great record, um, and it, yeah. it may be my favorite. But boy, that's a real like harrowing one to like <laughs> drop it, somebody into. It's a real, it's a real strange introduction to that band, I think, because yeah. um, like John John Darnielle and the Mountain Goats just do so do so many themed albums, <laughs> and. Uh, that, and that's one of them. The Sunset Tree is about, uh, is basically like an autobiographical album, him singing about yeah. his, his abusive stepfather and, you know, the time that he yeah. spent living with him. Uh, I think that's really the only one that he kind of, Danielle says that is sort of explicitly autobiographical. Um, so yeah, it's sort of an outlier and it's, it's a, it's a beautiful album, but it's, it's also not one that you want to, you know, just maybe put on to like wash the dishes or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But then I remember after I liked that, you were, you had said like, oh, you should listen to We Shall All Be Healed, which is another themed album about like a group of, you know, people living in a, uh, like in a, in a group home. Yeah. And, and I think like meth, meth addicts, maybe or ex, ex meth addicts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, so then after that, I sort of took it by my own and listened to, uh, Tallahassee, which is like again a themed album about a a couple who's like an alcoholic couple whose marriage is disintegrating. So there are, there are all of these sort of interesting themed albums, which mm-hmm. I think are which I think are good. But in a, in uh, like I shouldn't qualify that. Like they are they are all excellent albums. Mm-hmm. I I think it makes them a little bit difficult to jump into because if you're if you don't jive with the theme of a particular album, I think it can be yeah. harder to appreciate. For I mean for instance, they also have an album which I love, uh Beat the Champ. I love that one. That's Which great. is yeah, which is all about like uh like l- the local wrestling scene. Yeah. Yeah, like l- kind of low level maybe I think like southeastern pro wrestling leagues probably from the 80s or 70s or something yeah like um, very location and time specific in a way that if that if you are very not interested in that the album probably won't resonate in the same way so this mm-hmm. that's my very like circular way of coming around to say what the biggest and like final reason why this is the mountain goats album i chose in particular is because i think this is the most like consistently good and approachable of all the mountain goats albums Yes, I I could see that. I could see that. Um, I, I think that um, it's also I, I I didn't listen to this for a while. I also think this is kind of the this is a very transitional album in their career. I feel like this is sort of the start of a di- a different era because prior to this, I think he had a lot of different lineups and a lot of different band members. Um, with this album, most notably, he gets John Worcester, the drummer, who's been with him all since. And I think a lot of these guys have stayed around. Um, and this one also, you know, he was very, very lo-fi for people that don't know the original albums. Um, he just recorded literally on an ailing boom box just with an acoustic guitar. So it was about as lo-fi as you could get. I would say if you're interested in that era, like, uh, all hail West Texas is probably the, the most immediate one of those. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And then he kind of got into, you know, uh, Tallahassee, We Shall All Be Healed. And those are definitely much higher fidelity. But then I think at this point, they go into like almost making like, I think some of the really best engineered. Um, I don't know. They're just great recordings. I, I think he has a, now a very, very high level of fidelity. Um, so it's kind of an interesting one because I feel like this is kind of a hinge <clears throat> album in, in their career in some ways. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's another reason why I why I liked it so much is that I'm not I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't like the Mountain Goats anymore. I appreciate that as an artist, you know, as artists they need to evolve and do new stuff. But I think some of their more recent albums have gotten gotten away from what really drew them me to them in the first place. You know, like a lot of, you know, on Goths, John didn't really even play guitar at all, which is sort of his main thing. Uh so, you know, like, so some things like that, I think that this is a great, like you say, a, a, a hinge between eras that is representative of a lot of great things that the band was in its more formative uh, eras, but also indicative of some of the, you know, cool places that it goes to. Definitely. Well, we've been talking about, we should hear, should we just start with Sax Romer, number one? It's kind of a good... I think that's I think that's the perfect tone. I mean, it's the first track. It's a great it yeah. sets the tone perfectly, I think. Fog lifts from the harbor. Dawn goes down today. An agent crests the shadows of a nearby alleyway. Piles of broken bricks. Signposts on the path Every moment points toward the aftermath Yeah This is a great example of, I think, what John Worcester brought to the band as well. Um, I don't know, he's such a just propulsive drummer. I just love his drum work. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. The term propulsive, I think, is a great is a great word for a lot of different songs on this album. There's there's just something about the rhythm that is just this like insistent forward march that um I think like lends a lot of urgency to the songs. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this drumming right here is so good. It's kind of a march beat. Yeah. Also, uh, at least the wiki I found said uh, Annie Clark, aka Saint Vincent, plays guitar on this one as well. This song, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had no that idea. the like the chorus bit here, I think. So even though this this album is not a themed album, I think that there's a consistent recurring element in a lot of the songs, which is a, a kind of friction between the tone of the song. And like an often sort of jubilant tone in a song that is about like violent or disturbing content, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Which is a thing. I mean, that's just kind of a mountain goats thing in general. But I think on this album in particular, many like most of the songs have some some element there of like that sort of intentional dissonance. And I think this 
as a first song on the album, I think this does a great job of setting the tone with that. With that, like, celebratory, I'm coming home to you with my own blood in my mouth. It's just like <laughs> yeah. such a striking juxtaposition <laughs> there, right? Yeah. No, totally. And, it, you know, and even we were talking about those earlier albums, like, you know, uh, if you want to talk about We Shall All Be Healed, like, oh, it's an album about people in a halfway house that are addicted to meth. It's like, it's not nearly as depressing as, like, that would you know, make you believe just by the description. Right. I think I think you're right that he kind of is a, almost a triumphant kind of thing, even when it's not reflected mm-hmm. in the lyrics. Yeah, yeah there's... Uh, we were talking before recording about... Um, well, actually, Joe and, and Matt, you both brought it up, about uh, some of the liner notes that went out with this album when it released as, as press. Uh, and one of them for this song is about Sax Romare being a writer uh, and how there's a feeling of menace and threat in his stories that's kind of addictive, quote-unquote, and the tight frame atmosphere that he crafts has a real appeal to it, especially if you're working in a room with concrete floors and without any natural light. To me, that is like the what, what you guys just said. Mm-hmm. Like occupies that right where, where it's that friction between that the appeal of a space like that and actually what that what that space yeah. is you and know I, I read also he's kind of you know problematic to it well not to a certain degree like his his main sure. character is like fu manchu which is sort of now a pretty archaic like asian stereotype and you mm-hmm. know later we'll hear from lovecraft who is you know uh <laughs> also not, not problematic not, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah problematic might be selling it short with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with Lovecraft, Mr. Lovecraft, but I don't. Yeah. So I don't want to kill Sax Romer that much. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a great song. Uh, the next, I mean, this the next song I think is a, a must listen to too, which is a. Uh, I think this is just a, a lovely song, San Bernardino. Um, oh yeah, interesting. That one, that one really stands out to you, huh? Yeah, I've always really liked this one. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's check. That sounded that sounded nearly confrontational, Joe. But no, I got to no, no, introduce the song. I mean, so let's. Uh, it's not one of your highlights, really. I'm I'm su- Matt. I'm surprised that Matt likes it because I remember that there was a time oh. when he and I were talking about the Mountain Goats that he was sort of. Uh, I, I don't know if dismissive is the right word, but but maybe grumbling a little bit about uh, hmm. John Dar- John Darnell's tendency to sometimes go into sort of a baby John kind of voice. Like, <laughs> oh, like, a, like yeah. a very a very tiny kind of voice. And there's San a Bernardino. Yeah. And there's yeah, a bit of there's yeah. a bit of that in there. So that's why I was that's why I was surprised. <laughs> Nothing against the song. I mean yeah. in general, Joe, like I, I don't care about anything as much as I probably did back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just in, like in general, stuff that used to like get under my skin. I'm just kinda like, eh, you know. Yeah, yeah. But on this song, I really like the arrangements on this, and you'll hear the mu- the instrumentation. I think is really is really mm-hmm. cool. All right, here goes San Bernardino. Uh, what's that called? Pizzicato, Jason? Is that right? Pizzicato. Yeah. I love that. I'm a sucker for pizzicato. It is good. <laughs> it reminds me of the Owen Pallet album we discussed on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, he had a lot of that. They're actually quite close, I think. Mr. Darnielle and Mr. Pallet? Yeah. That would make sense. I feel like We Got In Your Car and We Hit The Highway is a very Mountain Goats opening to a song. Yeah. Uh, From 
I love that dead language is on our tongue line. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always. I mean, at least in what I read, he, he doesn't really speak of it, but it's really hard not to hear this song and not draw some parallels to obviously like the nativity story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, point. a young couple on the road checking into like a cheap motel. You know, it's just it's yeah. got all the kind of and Giving- the dead languages part always kind of. Made me think in that direction, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hadn't even made that connection. But yeah, giving birth me in either. a bathtub in a motel. Yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of, I mean... And, in you know, religion's definitely a a theme, I think, across his work in some in some respects. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He drops religious references the way, like, other people drop, uh, like, literary references or, you know, pop culture references. That's the go-to of his... Yeah. Yeah. You are splendid. And we will never I mean, we already had in this song, there's that flaming swords may guard the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I didn't notice it before <laughs> based on that, how obvious the signs yeah, are. No, yeah. no joke. I feel like an idiot. And, you know, I mean, maybe that wasn't his intent. I don't know. You know, you never, but, you know. I think John Darnielle would be one of the first people to tell you it doesn't really matter what he meant as long as it's what you're hearing. Yeah, that's you know death yeah. of the author yeah. and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this, um, this is I think the example here, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, is like mm-hmm. you've got you've got such a harrowing experience, like giving birth in a motel and all of the chaos that is, and yet the the way this song approaches it is with this sort of like quiet contemplation that again seems very at odds with what the situation may demand you know mm-hmm. yeah um i mean i think that's sort of you know having gone through it once not you know delivering myself but <laughs> in the room uh you know it is kind of a chaotic thing that sort of ends in this very like peaceful thing which is kind of an odd you know but i like i like the songs like this where it's just you're, you've dropped into like a little moment of people's lives and then you're kind of out of it um, yeah Almost like short stories, I think. Yeah, um, that seems to be a lot of this output. I don't know the Mountain Goats as well as either of you do, but this album is, to me, full of those like independent little stories. It's like John Darnielle far more a storyteller than his musician, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe, what's the next? What, what? Let's hit some of your highlights here. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's hard for me to pick highlights in a lot of ways because I like so much of this album, but I think... I almost feel like we'd be remiss not to just go right into the third track, Heretic Pride. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not that not that we're going to go listen to the whole thing uh, one by one, but I think all four of those first tracks, you know, like uh, I know John Darnielle has talked about before the importance of the first four tracks on any <laughs> on any album that you do because those are the ones that people. Oh really? Oh yeah. yeah. The, those are the ones that people hear the most. So he he just mm. puts a ridiculous amount of effort into ordering the tracks on his whole album, but especially those first four. He wants yep. to make sure that like people are going to stick around and listen to them. And uh, back in the days when vinyl was, you know, I mean, vinyl's very big now, but when it was the primary medium, I think there was always these rules about, you know, you, you start strong. I think the conventional wisdom was to like, what you thought was the weakest songs, bury those at the end of side one. And then when you flip the record, like that first song's got to be one of your really good ones to kind of like re-engage yeah. people and stuff like that. But oh, and by the I- way, I'm sorry, I have to just take a little uh, little sidetrack because I did look up um, Saint Bernardino of Siena just because I was wondering if there's any other like religious stuff. Oh yeah. So you know how like you're the patron saint of different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Okay, this guy's like 
I'm going to just run these down. St. Okay. Bernardino of Siena. The patron saint of advertisers? Advertising. A, the, t- the city of Aquila, Italy. The, the patron saint of chest problems. <laughs> gambling, <laughs> gambling addicts. Public relations personnel. Public oh my relations God. work. Guys. What, like, what? Can you, like, you can't, like, you know, retcon things onto this guy that didn't exist when he was alive. I don't know. Sorry. I'm, I just got a little beef with the Pope on that one. So just want to throw that out there because I, I thought I was going to find some great insight into this song. And then it was just like, oh, it's weird. <laughs> we make gods and saints that reflect who we are in the real world. Uh, that sounds like a John Daniel quote, but it's not. Uh, I do love that it's unfortunately incredibly our saint then Matt yeah, I know, just I know. problems and advertising <laughs> yeah totally I know Jason you're a, you're a gambling addict I know so I have asthma I <laughs> cannot quit craps and I write ad copy all day exactly all you right, are let's, you're let's Mr. To, Bernardino yeah <laughs> let's go into heretic pride this is another really good one here we go If there's one sound I associate with the mountain goats, it's that da na 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 rhythm. Yeah, that little pickup strum kind of thing. Always hits, yeah. And it drags my body through the streets. And the sun's so hot I think I'll catch fire and burn up in the summer air so moist and sweet. And the people all come out to cheer. So this song is about well the main the main the main story of this song anyway that it's telling on the surface is just like about a guy who is being pulled out of his home and killed by an angry mob as a religious martyr. Yeah, that's what I always kind of took it. Yeah, which uh, so in those liner notes you were talking about, Matt, he uh, uh, in an interview with uh, with a guy named Sam Means in two thousand eight. John Darnielle sort of addressed like the name of this song and what it means. And essentially what it is, is like, you know, he's, uh, I don't want to read the whole quote here, but the paraphrase, he's like, you talk about when people talk about living life to their fullest, they talk about like going out and having a, like a bitchin weekend. But John <laughs> Darnielle is like, you know, who lives life to the fullest is martyrs because they just get, <laughs> yeah. they get pulled out and, de- and like decapitated to the cheers of thousands of people. So then here, yeah. here, here's the quote I will read. He says, uh, like, so that's what I think heretic pride is. Really enthusiastic role acceptance. Okay, yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's the God, great thing that. about the song, I think, is, like, it's just got that anthemic kind of quality that you can sort of apply to, like, whatever's going on in your life as well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or however you feel you've been wronged, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, because but like, I, that, that, you know, the what's the... the uh, I feel so good when the reckoning arrives. Like that's just a great, a great line, mm-hmm. yeah, a great lyric, yeah. Transfiguration's gonna come. I mean, and I think this song has some especially great little sensory details in it too, like the talking about. Uh, let's see what it, the the honeysuckle on the there. What is it? And there's honeysuckle on the faint breeze today. With every breath yeah. I'm drawing in, you know, really evocative there. So, 
I think this song benefits a lot from his tendency to not like at the ends of phrases sing really long notes like when the reckoning arrives like he doesn't oh, hold he that off. stuff he like he cuts it really quickly so that each like stanza I guess is very self-contained and you really get to focus on the rhythm and the music and all those overtones that are going on um, just from a musical standpoint I think that's a really like smart intentional uh, mm-hmm. tactic that he takes because yep. he's not a traditionally like strong vocalist either he's got kind of a nasally thing going on it's very characterful but it's not like it doesn't lend itself to vibrato I guess and no. like classically uh, performing vocals uh, I don't know I, j- I just noticed that listening through this album yeah. um, is how like conservative he is about the actual melody it's interesting yeah this is another one I think too where John Worcester the drummer like I think this song couldn't have been as good before this album um just yeah. because I think the drums are so driving as well. So can um, can we do a little experiment here, real quick? Just can we play the like the first few seconds of several songs? Just to com- ooh, I like that. Just to okay. compare them, because let's do I, it. Just on, on that note, both what you were saying, Matt, about John Worcester, and what uh, Jason had said about that sort of defining thing, uh, the the defining mm-hmm. sort of sounds at the beginning. I have a few written down here that I just thought like, and again, I'm not, I'm not well-trained musically, but to me anyway, these sound really similar. So like start by playing like the first, the first few seconds of heretic pride and then autoclave and then craters in the moon and then how to embrace a swamp creature. Okay. All right. So here is the first few seconds of heretic pride again. And then just switch over to autoclave. Mm-hmm. And then craters in the craters on the moon. If the strain proves too much. And then how to embrace a swamp creature. I hear it. I hear it. Yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. I don't. I just thought. I just thought that was interesting. That there's. I don't know how much of that is the sort of driving, like new driving percussive element in the band or whatever. But it just seems mm-hmm. to me it yeah. seems conspicuous that that's a that that's a like it, thematic thing. It seems to me, and maybe you guys can correct me that that seems just because this is. I'm sorry to make such a big talking point of it, but like. He, John Darnielle is the, is the primary songwriter of the group, right? So yeah, the only exclusive believe, yeah. songwriter. Yeah. Um, and you got to think when he's writing songs on probably guitar, that's a good way to like get rhythm and some sort of chicka chicka going. If you've just got an acoustic guitar in your hand, as opposed to like having a drum loop in front yep. of you or having a bassist alongside you or whatever, like to be able to put, and I, I, I don't begrudge the man he's had, like this was what their 11th album or something of music and i don't mind that he's able to like squeeze a lot of juice out of that one rhythm and like make good songs about it consistently yeah part of it too is i think you know yeah but worcester's like kind of been considered one of the great indie rock drummers he was in the band super chunk which is one of my favorite bands of the 90s he plays in bob mold at who's could solo band and you know so he's kind of been a drummer for hire and you know underground rock for a long time and i think part of it's like i have this kick-ass drummer i just want to like run him through his paces a little bit yeah. you know, too, just because it's like wow this guy's awesome it sounds yeah. cool when he plays so for sure yeah i think i think we should jump to autoclave 
Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, let's get back to those top four. Um, here's Autoclave then. Fun fact, this is the most played song on this album on Spotify. Hmm. Okay, interesting. I see why. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of one of the popular tracks, right? Yeah. It's like over good hook up in the top there. Yeah, over 2 million plays on this one. And we, I talked over it a little bit, but that great line, I am this great unstable mass of blood and foam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Autoclave is some sort of medical device, I believe, as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a pressure heat chamber. Yeah, it's used for sterilization. So Okay. So the idea is um, basically like this guy has a this guy has a heart that burns away and destroys any feelings that it that it cultivates. That's that I didn't want to lean too much on the, you know, fandom liner notes stuff here because we've gone back to that well a lot, but like the way that he describes this song he described like he, he, he discovered what an autoclave is and does, and a bacteria ex- apparently exists that like thrives in that environment. And he says, naturally, this got me to thinking about people whose hearts involuntarily pulverize any good feelings that come within a city block <laughs> of them. <laughs> Which is just such a wonderful way to describe this kind of poppy, upbeat-ish, if not super energetic tune. Are we coming up to the human skulls part yet? I think so. Yeah. Yep. That little verse there is my favorite part of this song because, like, I think it's yeah. I think it's an example of what uh, John Darnielle does so well as a writer is just, like write these little like cinematic scenes almost, right? Mm-hmm. That it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to have a narrative attached to it so much as just paint a picture that you know evokes a very specific image and feeling to it. Yeah. I it like it's thematically consistent with the rest of the song being like this I am alone I am not like going to be able to express or feel feelings very much type of thing but the way that he chooses to like uh to illuminate that feeling is to describe himself on some like eldritch horror island throne of skulls and he's and then he ends the couplet with like sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name and it's like is that where everybody knows your name is just the shrieking bulls well, and howling well, wind also that's like a cheers reference yeah, yeah, right. I didn't know. I didn't think about that until I heard this song. I mean, I'm it. It's like funny and ironic, you know, yeah. but so deeply sad. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Elden Lord just wants to chill out with his buds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? 
So yeah, um, Matt, that's so that's the first four. Yeah. What, what what do you think is a good place to go next? Well, um, this is one that I just because I have been doing some research. This is one that I, I always liked a lot, and now after I read some of the stuff, I'm like, well, okay, this totally makes sense to me. And I, I just uh, uh, one of my favorites is September fifteenth, nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Um, and this was very uh, illuminating to me. So we can we can play it okay. and we can talk about it. Right here it goes. I'm sorry, I think I brought up a Paul Simon album. <laughs> Long dinner with some friends. Way out, way out in Portmore. Servants of the Pharaoh. Slipping through an open door. All business. Bearing knives and zip guns So get on the floor now Every last one Every last one The heat drifts Across the land If I forget you Israel Let me forget My right hand Yeah, this, that was a line I always liked that uh, chorus a lot that's yeah. such a great line, very biblical. And so then when I started researching, then it all made sense because apparently this is about the death, uh, murder of uh, Prince Farai, who is a, a very very well-known reggae singer um, who was mm. murdered in his home by unknown assailants. And uh, so that, that makes the verses make sense. But um, Rastafarians, uh, they sort of, um, they have a lot of um, ties uh, spiritually to Ethiopia uh, and Emperor Haile Selassie. Um, and there's uh, definitely some um, tribes of Ethiopian Jews, but basically the Rastafarians in in, in uh, Jamaica consider themselves part of the uh, twelve tribes tribes of Israel, and that they've been exiled um, in in uh, Jamaica to kind of like work under the yoke of the white man, and that someday they'll be restored to like Israel. Um, so I don't know. It was just cool because I I'd always sort of wondered what this was about, and that you know. It just made the whole Israel line make a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and this is a song that I – I mean, there's no way you can intuit what this song is about. It's a very specific, very specific person and thing. Uh, but I always liked this song that, you know, the heat drifts across the sand. If I, you know, if I forget Israel, let me forget my right hand. It's just like even if you don't know the context, that's just a sort of – I don't know. It's like, it's a, like a it's a soaring a soaring evocative moment. I think. I don't yeah, know. it's very like old test. It's an old testament kind yeah. of moment. You know, like it yeah. just it's got that grandeur of kind of the old testament uh, prophecies and things like that. So <laughs> this is this one is this. So this has been interesting to me because I, I was kind of like you, and maybe sometimes it is nice to let songs be more of a mystery, but um, it definitely makes sense to me now. Um, and I, I've always really liked this one, and I like the arrangements, like the kind of organ stuff that they do here. Um, yeah. Yeah. What uh? What what should we listen to next, Joe? Well, okay, so uh, it's so hard. There's so much stuff I want to talk about. How about there's the the one right before this, the Marduk T-shirt men's room incident. Yes, is is is, <laughs> is another is another quieter song that for years after it like for years of listening to this album, I thought that it was 
telling the story of a rape that happens in a men's room. Yeah. And until like a few years ago, I was digging around uh, when I sort of got into this album again. And John Darnielle himself, who, who will basically never weigh in in terms of like telling someone what a song means, came mm-hmm. out. Uh, I, I saw that he had come out on some forums and said, like, this is not about a rape. This is not a rape in a men's room. It's just a guy who's going into a men's room and sees and sees a woman having a bad time there. Oh, hmm. so she's distraught and he doesn't know why. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, in fairness, Joe, I mean, that's great that he felt the need to. And I'm sure because of that nature of the subject matter, that's. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the one time he really jumped in because I could totally understand that um, from his perspective, wanting to clarify that. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, I don't think like your interpretation, uh, which is basically what mine was. Uh, I don't think yeah. that was ludicrous to discern from what's on the record. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, in fact, yeah, let's let's listen to it and we can and, <laughs> and we can pull out all the pieces of evidence through which people very uh, understandably thought that this was about a sexual right. encounter. Oh, and another thing, just because this is another theme that I think runs through the Mountain Goats too. Marduk is a, uh, I believe, a Swedish uh, black metal band. Um, and, of course. you know, extreme metal genres like black metal, death metal um, are definitely a, another theme that I think is woven through uh, the Mountain Goats. Um, well, the best ever uh, out of Denton, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and I think that what was the one heretic pride he said was like unconsciously cribbed from some lyrics from our aura noir who are another, a black metal band. So he's a very, mm. you know, I think a very big fan of that stuff. Sure. Okay. Well, here is Marduk t-shirt men's room is an incident. Excuse me. really a beautiful song as well i mean yeah this is my favorite of his like quiet songs is that kind of how you've segmented them is the quiet sort of calm <laughs> tranquil songs and, and the faster chuggy chuggy songs i think in on this album in particular you can do that Mm-hmm. There's a blurrier well, line yeah. on some of them, but right. But this is an album where you've got Marduk T-shirt and just a couple before that Lovecraft in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we have on this song, you have lines like "stray syllables were gurgling from her mouth, one or from her throat, uh, one at a time." You know, or mm-hmm. a Marduk t-shirt sticking to her skin. There are these sort of like like 
sweaty, guttural sort of, like, there's some sexual imagery there. Uh, mm. So I understand how I and many other people had <laughs> were mistaken there. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the other thing just in general. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's interesting, all this stuff we found and talk about, but then it's like, part of me hates doing this because I think one of the things I, li- I like about the mountain goats is not always fully understanding, like, what the narrative is. Yeah. You know, hmm. uh, so I, maybe we're taking some mystery out of it a little bit for people, but... Um, yeah. I mean, it's... For me, I enjoy that kind of... I Like, I enjoy that clarity, but then I also enjoy... Like, for instance, we don't have to go listen to it, but the, the final song on this album, Michael Myers' Resplendent, is one that I still don't think I fully understand. You know, it's yeah. just... it's Or a, another one, too, which is um, the... In the Craters on the Moon, it seems to me it's just like a, a song that's much more of a, like, vibe than it is, you know, a narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but I also even like how even in the songs where there is an explicit narrative, it's not even necessarily always about that thing, you know, like, hmm. uh, I don't know, like, you know, uh, the the Tianqi Lake song is ostensibly about this lake in China that has a that has a legendary monster in it, but there are also some lines in that song that, like, it, it's more about I don't know, I guess I interpret it as more about like living alongside the extraordinary, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, well, we should is, probably is that where we should go next? Yeah, we should probably or... move on. We're like. What what should we hear before we switch gears here, Joe? Woof. I think <laughs> I mean I I would recommend I, I don't know that there's a gr- uh, tons of great stuff to talk about with it. So I would just recommend that, you know, listeners on their own time definitely listen to In the Craters on the Moon. But mm-hmm. in terms of a of of a last like talking point song, I think we should do Lovecraft in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good great song yeah. as well. It is rich. All right, here's Lovecraft in Brooklyn. This is probably the heaviest song they've done to this point in their career as well. Yeah, I thought I was reading somewhere that John Darnell said, this is the loudest I have ever sung on an album. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. Because <laughs> this one even has like a little distorted guitar, you know, in addition to the, the kind of pounding drums. Mm-hmm. But everybody's out here on the street. Somebody's opened up the fire hydrant. Cold water rushing out in sheets. Some kid in a Marcus Allen jersey. <laughs> I love that. That's an old raider running back. Yeah. <laughs> I just love those little details he throws in there. So I take what I can get. Hubcats on the cars like funhouse mirrors. But I mean, this I just take to be. I'm, well. <laughs> oh man, Lovecraft's tough. Uh. <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's I obviously tra- you know, carefully you need to tread. The guy, the guy was just real shitty, but made indelible. Yeah, works, because you, know? you can't, you can't just like, you can't really cancel him out of the the, the history of horror. I mean, it's just like trying mm-hmm. to, it's like trying to cancel like the Beatles out of rock or something. You know, it, he's so foundational. But I mean, I mean, he was. I don't know if he was full on Nazi like goose stepping, but. Uh, I mean, he was clearly white supremacist. Yeah, his views enough, were not, yeah. not far off. Um, so that's so here's, kind of the th- 
in, 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 the, in the press kit that went out with the with the album, uh, here's <laughs> what John Darnielle had to say about like that specific that specific element because like Lovecraft moved to Brooklyn. And that's sort of like that exposure to a lot of, you know, like to a, a level of diversity that he didn't see where where he was before in what Rhode Island or Massachusetts or whatever was, you know, partially what gave rise to. all that. So anyway, here's the quote. It says Lovecraft xenophobia during his time in Brooklyn resulted in some of the weirdest, darkage, darkest images in all American literature. One must condemn Lovecraft's, Lovecraft's ugly racism, of course, but. His not unrelated inclination of general suspicion of anything that's alive is pretty fertile ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good way of saying and it. And I think I think that's really what this song embodies is just a like someone someone walking down the street with just this pervasive sense of doom yeah. behind just every a, mm-hmm. everything yeah. that moves. You know? Like a total misanthrope, just Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just paranoid and terrified. He's literally like singing about the, the eldritch horrors that, that Lovecraft cooked up. Yeah. He says, someday something's coming from way out beyond the stars. To kill us while we stand here, it'll store our brains in mason jars. You know, yeah. just like that feeling of of self-persecution of like, like you said, mis, uh, being a misanthrope, of, of not connecting with the world around you, of mm-hmm. just despising everything you see. And I think uh, that first verse, the, the Marcus Allen jersey thing, it's like it's a modern modernization of it, but you know, like. How dare mm-hmm. these poor people like talk to me? You know what I mean? How, yeah, how dare these yeah. people of color even like deign like have the the nerve to like think I would even deign to like talk to them? You know? So he, right. I, mean, I think it gets at the heart of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I- as as songs about Lovecraft go, <laughs> one of the more tasteful ones, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, this is just another one where where the imagery just is so striking, and and, and the words mm-hmm. are just so so specifically good at conjuring a mood um yeah i i really like that one yeah no that's a standout i'm glad we played it yeah i hadn't listened to this album for quite a long time and uh it's been really it was really great revisiting it because i I listened to it a lot when it came out um so thanks for picking it joe this has been a lot of it's been interesting too. all the research i just sort of have a different appreciation i think for the the whole songwriting process as well yeah. yeah. Before uh, before we leave this discussion, can I ask where I should go with the Mountain Goats from here? Because I've listened to this year and uh, a couple other songs and this whole album, but this is the first whole album I've consumed. Where's where's a good one to go from here? Um, I think you probably owe it to yourself to hear at least like the the Boombox era, and like All Hail okay. West Texas. I think is definitely what I would do there. Um, I think you know Tallahassee. Is definitely a fan favorite, or We Shall All Be Healed. I think that era, both of those, mm-hmm. yeah. you really like. Um, oh, this is worth mentioning, actually, Jason. I don't know how plugged into TikTok you are. Hopefully, more than I. Uh, more than more than Matt is for sure. Okay, probably more <laughs> well, more than me. But the Mountain <laughs> Goats, like, much. there's a song from Tallahassee, like, became a viral hit on TikTok last oh, year. Oh, oh, uh, I'm you were I, I no. It's I called we're going die, down with me, hand in a lovable hand. Yeah, it's called yes. no. It's called no children. no children. It's on. It's on. Ta- yes. it's on Tallahassee, which okay. Um, there are some great songs on Tallahassee. I don't think you know compared to Heretic Pride. I feel like Heretic Pride has a lot of has a lot of songs that score like eight point five on it. I think you just can't leave the game no, reviewer okay. life I, behind, yeah, can I, you, Joe? I, 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 I really, really feel can. like it's more than eight seven five. <laughs> oh, um, okay, okay, thanks. Not to disagree. 
<laughs> but I think I think Tallahassee probably is like an average score of the songs. I would say is probably lower, but it I think it has a couple nine seven fives on there. Huh, man? Oh God. Mm. <laughs> if we, if we would have, Joe, you know how much easier our lives would have been if we wouldn't had those quarter points? Oh yeah. It would have been so nice. I, I anyway, know. I don't I want know. to get the old game informer uh, stuff dragged out here, but uh, yeah, that'd be the worst thing um, we could possibly oh, you know, also, alienate Jason, our audience. Like, the Sunset Tree is really a powerful album, and that's probably got okay. his other real like anthem that's sort of known as uh, this year. But um, yeah, that one's know, that one's a really powerful record. I mean, it like, truly okay. is. Like I'd said earlier, the Sunset Tree is where I got started, and I. Especially now that you sort of have heretic pride under your belt and you know sort of where it goes a little bit, I think the Sunset mm-hmm. Tree is a great is a great place to start to get some of a little more of their older school vibe, though not quite back in the boombox era. And okay. and um, it's just some great songs, and it's got that thematic thing going, which that they you know that they love so much. So I think. Yeah, yes. Something did click for me about Mountain Goats with this record, with specifically Michael Myers Resplendent. I think the story of that and sort of the way that it conjures that story, or excuse me, that theme and image, that, that, that unlocks some doors for me with the band. So looking forward to digging into more. But we have one more album to discuss yes, on this show, yeah. don't we, Matt? Um, yeah, so I was just curious. I kind of had a hunch you were going to pick Mountain Goats, and I think that um, these two artists are, you know, definitely, I don't think identical or tied, but I think they're of a similar generation of music in a certain scene. And uh, this is a silver Jews, the natural bridge. Um, so David Berman's tough now because once, once, when someone's commits suicide, you know what I mean? It just becomes part of the overarching thing. And it's not hard not to like listen for clues. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. he, he, in 2019, he committed suicide. Uh, he had been a songwriter uh, and much like the mountain goat, silver Jews were kind of David Berman and, whatever amalgamation of, you know, musicians he happened to put together at that time. Uh, He'd released an album under the name Purple Mountains right before he died, which is uh, really great, which I thought about picking it, but it's almost uh, too heavy in light of what happened after it to to almost listen to sometimes. Uh, But anyway, he was, you know, very much, a a, I think, to me, a brilliant songwriter and lyricist, a very, I think, no one really liked him that I can think of, and uh, Troubled Man. Uh, I think he had, you know, he had problems with a uh, multitude of drugs, depression and things. Um, in, in, in another thing, uh, which I just want to talk about, cause I think it, it actually fits into the the first song in this album is his father. He, in 29, uh, 2009, he broke up silver Jews, which is kind of like breaking up with himself. But, um, anyway, he, at that time he revealed that his father, uh, was a man named Richard Berman and he's, uh, was known uh, under the nickname Dr. Evil in Washington. And he was a lobbyist and PR, a genius for, uh, you know, anti-minimum wage, uh, pro-oil. Um, Special interests. Pro, yeah, pro, pro-drunk pro driving, he even was. Whoa. <laughs> like, he, Whoa. he tried to fight, like, lobby against drunk driving laws. So, like, you know, he was, uh, he was renowned and, you know, like, uh, basically, you know, he, uh, uh, in in the statement, he called him a despicable man, a human molester, an exploiter, a scoundrel. Um, a couple of years ago, I demanded he stop his work, close down his company, or I would sever our relationship. He refused. He's just gotten worse, more evil. So, like, <laughs> that's what he thought about his own father, right? So, yeah. just mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a background. Um, so, Joe, I'm assuming you were not familiar. Um, <laughs> I was absolutely not familiar 
with uh, with this with this band. Though I did a lot of research into it after the fa- you know after I listened to it a couple times, I sort of wanted to know the story behind it, like I do. And uh, yeah, it's very very compelling kind of context around this album in a lot of ways. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I was very sad when he died for some reason, just because he'd kind of come back with his great album, and he was on the verge of this tour, and then, you know, who knows what? You know, that's always kind of a black box around that act. But uh, anyway, it was a, uh, it was kind of a, I don't know, it hit me hard for some reason. I don't know why harder than other ones, but um, so anyway, I'm just Berman definitely has a thing. It's very distinctive. It's kind of this uh mix of sort of like really high poetry and kind of dirty jokes and sort of a odd dark sense of existential humor sort of so i i'm curious what you thought of it and how it struck you because he, he's definitely uh, a unique voice yeah so for me i did not much care for the album when i listened to it the first time uh i think part of that is that i listened to it while i was driving so i didn't I didn't catch all of the lyrics, right? I didn't get, mm-hmm. I didn't get all the words and musically this album does not do it for me. Um, I think again, I, I don't have a great vocabulary for talking about like the actual musical techniques of it, but sure. it, it all, a lot of the music of the album sounded the same and it wasn't until my second listen of it where I like sat down with the lyric sheet and like followed along that it started to resonate a lot more. And then, you know, by the, by the fifth time I listened to it, uh, mm-hmm. like I, I have songs that are now like, Oh good. This song's coming up. I like, yeah, you know, yeah. I like this one. Uh, so, but I, I think getting over that initial, um, that initial acclimation barrier to it was a little harder than, than normal for me on this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, musically, it's very, very loose. So yeah, I, I, I totally get that, Joe, just given what I know about your taste, because it's definitely sort of this uh, shambly kind of like NyQuil version of country music in some ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's very like, their their first album, Starlight Walker, was considerably less professional than this one. So, but yeah, he was never associated with like, you know, real it was a very loose kind of thing always was sort of the feel of it musically. So I could, I could definitely see that if you're, especially if you have no real affinity for like country rock or anything, it, it would not be something you were instantly uh, drawn to. Um, and it's, you know, like, like the mountain goats. I mean, Jason, this is probably the most we've talked about lyrics, like cumulatively on the whole show, probably almost. Yeah, easily. But I mean, both these bands, it's just, it's all, it's really like you have to talk about lyrics. They're they're so focused. For sure. Um so but anyway, I guess you know you were talking about how you sort of found your place with them finally and and like what was it what was it sort of opened up for you after a while? Well, I think I think for me the 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 crack in the armor was just a ha- across several songs just a handful of like really clever phrases, really like really good lyrics that weren't even necessarily uh, like like they're just great little nuggets, right? Like yes. you can you can tell that Berman is a is a poet, right? Mm-hmm. In a it like and not in a like Bob Dylan is a songwriter poet or whatever. Like Berman is a capital P poet. Yeah, who is and he has who a is, great uh, who is writing music? You know, yeah, and he has a great book uh, uh, called Actual Air. That's a poetry compilation that he did. I think about ninety nine. It's a uh, 
you know, well worth reading. And, and like you said, it's a very much a cut above the usual kind of vanity thing where like Bono from U2 publishes like poems or something, you know? Um, right. Right. So like, but yeah, so, he, he, he has I, these knockout lines. Like he's always had that knack for just these like little descriptive things that are like, wow. Like, how did you, it's just an, it's a mental image that he just kind of conjures up with like two or three lines. It's like, it just kind of grabs you out of the blue. Yeah. So like the first one for me was that in how to rent a room, you're a tower without the bells. You're a negative wishing well. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's start here because I think this also – oh, yeah. Another one on this is uh, chalk lines around my body like the shoreline of a lake. Yep. I had um, that one written down too. Yeah. Uh, but this one I think – this one, having done a little more research into his, his situation with his father, which I knew about. But I'm I'm fairly certain this song is about him ending his relationship with his father. Yeah. That – I it's when I first heard it, I assumed it was like the sort of dissolution or death of or, or, like the other person in this was a was a woman. Relation. Yeah, it was like a relationship. Ooh. But which we're kind of conditioned to think that because this rock and pop music is always about romantic relationships. You know? mm. Exactly, exactly. But that line, I only wanted to die in your eyes. It's like your own. Like that's a very specific like. Parents say that like their children are dead in their eyes, right? Yep, yep, mm. you're dead to me, kind of thing. So yeah, but let's play it. This, this is a, a great song, I think lyrically, and it's it's the first song as well. So okay, here is how to rent a room. No. great way to kick off an album right there too yeah right? i don't want to die i only want to die in your eyes mm-hmm. i don't know what the rented a room part means though honestly i guess i just maybe assume that like his father is so incapable of like empathizing with like not rich people or people outside of his social kind of class. Oh, I see. Mm. I see. Yeah. You know, just like the, the classic, like rooming house is sort of the, you know, the last step before, you know, homelessness almost. And yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more for some reason, I was thinking more of like, in terms of like a hotel, but that wouldn't, that's different. Yeah. Renting a room feels different than renting a hotel room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a man who has a wife. This line's wow too. Yeah. I mean, that's as scathing about a parent as you could possibly <laughs> write. You know, like, mom didn't love you, actually. and Yeah. Well, and that thing about checking the stables for the name of the sire and dam, like, is, I mean, implying that he might be the child of an affair, right? Yeah.
Yeah, and I think that's like, you know, his dad reading like reviews of him or something like that. Yeah, I'd initially thought that might be like his obituary, right? Oh, that too, yeah. But I think in the context of it being his father, I think it's read the Metro section like for news of my success. Right, and you know, Silver Jews were one of those classic like, they didn't sell a lot, but you know, this is like tailor-made for rock critics, right? <laughs> yeah. The, mm-hmm. Their album went aluminum, as he says later yeah. in the... <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one, too. Um, uh, well, but, also, Joe, I know you wanted to... The next song, you wanted to kind of... Um, there's, there is... there You know, and uh, John Darnielle and I think... I don't think they were... I don't necessarily know if they were close, but I think they had... You know, Darnielle, uh, when he died, he tweeted, of loosely my generation of songwriters, the best of us. This loss is devastating. Rest easy, easy fellow traveler. Um so I think he held him in, in high res- Berman in high esteem. Um, and I know, you, Joe, you said that, uh, well, we can hear a little of Pet Politics, but I know, you know, you'd found uh, that Mountain Goats had covered that at one point. Yeah, yeah. I think we should definitely listen to the, the Silver Jews version uh, to get a little taste of it. This was the song that I think has the most little narrative flourishes that really, really sucked me into it. It's got lines like, she was shivering so hard it looked like there were two of her. Yeah. Or that, or that bit, <laughs> that bit when he says, uh, "When the rain hits you, it hits you slow." Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. was really good. So anyway, there. I don't. know. I guess maybe instead of we don't need to start at the beginning. We can maybe jump in at like I don't know one thirty five ish or so is where I have my first timestamp. Sure. But okie doke. Here then is pet politics at about one thirty five. That's a great line too. A tattoo of a boarded up house and ink door that belonged to another. When the rain hits you, it hits you slow. Stitch after stitch, stitch after stitch, stitch after stitch, stitch after stitch. Then he goes into this big biblical thing. Yeah. And that's one I want to touch on because there's so much religion in this album. not the first man, though the Bible tells us so. There was one created before him whose name we do not know. He also lived in the garden. But he had no mouth or eyes One day Adam came to kill him And he died beneath these skies I find it so amazing how I go where Yeah, that, the, the Garden of Eden thing. I mean, I don't. I, I'll, that's beyond me to interpret. But I, it's so, so striking when it happens because it, it seems so out of character for him in some ways, or maybe not totally. But it's just a very doomy kind of like almost horror movie kind of vision thing. 
Yeah. Well, and just, I also just love the idea of rewriting this myth, right? Like this, this, this culturally known thing to just say, it's not the way you think it is. I think has a, has a powerful effect if, if, if you're able to like weave the imagery, right? Which I think he, which I think he does. Um, but you know, another thing about this, uh, uh, have either of you ever heard of the musician Dan Byrne? Yeah. Dan Byrne was... Uh, Maybe? Was he in the Georgia Satellites? That no, I, I don't think it's That I don't... He, he plays with a band, or at least he did, called the International Jewish Banking Conspiracy. But... <laughs> but... Um, anyway, he... he it, I guess if I were to, like, triangulate the Silver Jews... In terms of bands that I know and I'm familiar with, it's like Dan Byrne is one of the three with, I'd say, like the okay. mount, with the Mountain Goats and the Handsome Family sort of being the other oh, two. Oh, yeah. That like somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the intersection of those three is where the Silver Jews lands for me. Um, yeah, so, I'll, so, have to, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'd say like check out, check out his album 50 Eggs. Uh, okay. For for a for a taste of it, I'd guess. But uh, anyway, yeah. So so there are just, I it's not it's not totally pervasive, but there are definitely little, like the ways he phrases things or his sort of, you know how, uh, Berman's sort of tendency to be a little raunchy sometimes is a is a reminds mm. reminds me of Dan <laughs> Byrne. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, definitely, he has that tendency for sure. And, and you know, Judaism, I think, was something in his life that he kind of drifted away from and towards at various points, you know? So I think, and obviously mm-hmm. with the band name, uh, so it, you know, there's an old Testament kind of thing that I think feels kind of a part of this album as well. And a lot of kind of religious and, you know, also this album it's raining all the time, like yeah. water <laughs> and rain. It's like constantly. Well, like I raining. think this song actually has like a rain stick effect in it somewhere. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. So it's, it almost sounds like distortion in your headphones, but yeah. 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 Uh, but the other, yeah. So I, I, I think we should play a little bit of that, uh, of the mountain goats cover of that too, because I, for me, it was so striking because of with John Darnell singing this song. I, this sounds like a mountain goat song to me. Okay. Uh, is it okay if I jump in a little bit just to get people yep. both feet in the, in the deep end? Yeah. All right. Here is the mountain goats cover of pet politics. No. Last night's mascara, now that her pet was gone for sure. She was shivering so hard, it looked like there were two of her. I could see through the sleeve on her blouse the mute plans of her architect lover. A tattoo of a boarded up house, an ink door that belonged to another. When the rain hits you, He kind of changes the phrasing. That's interesting. Yeah. 
That is a that's a very captivating cover. I didn't know that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really I cool. I didn't either. It just sort of is the result of a haphazard Google search on something. It pointed, like pulled it up. I was like, what? Wow. I had, to, I had to do that more often because this show is pretty ripe for that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Taking two unrelated artists and seeing where they intersect. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sick. Well, well I, I wouldn't that. necessarily say they're unrelated in some ways, you know, I think. Well, yeah. Um, uh, somebody in the patreon post made the joke that we should have said uh the purple mountains goats episode <laughs> Ooh, that would have been thought, good ah, yeah oh, that would have been pretty good yeah marketing. yeah right good marketing. okay <laughs> um so <laughs> where do you where, uh, i mean i pretty much like all these songs joe there's a couple that I, I i think i'd like to tackle the last two songs last because i think those are really kind of amazing writing um yeah i mean i but, i would say as long the only like must talk about on my list for this one is that last one, Pretty Eyes. So mm-hmm. I'll let I'll let you steer the boat in terms of where you want to go next. Yeah, um, I really like uh, Dallas a lot. Um, okay, you want to just take it from the top? Yeah, yeah. And this has sort of <laughs> you can start some gross lyrics. You could start. Yeah. Out, you can start. I have a the- theory about it though, but. <laughs> At the 30-second mark is when the lyrics start, if you just want to skip in a bit. Sure. Let me do that. Try to be as entertaining a clown as possible while I click around. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here is Dallas at about 30 seconds. I passed out on the 14th floor. The CPR. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> CPR. <laughs> A blizzard flew in through the door. And little glowing cum buckets in her <laughs> Okay, record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I have, okay, I, you want to hear my theory? Yeah. He mentions cum like three times on this record, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. This is a great chorus, so I love this. Oh, this I, I want to hear this line because this is so great to me. How'd you turn a billion steers in the buildings made of mirrors? Which, yeah, if you've ever, you know, been to Dallas, it's all like those old 80s kind of like mirror buildings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay, so my theory is Matt, or? the, um, he says that the, um, the blizzard blew through the door. So I'm imagining maybe the CPR person's pants are cuffed and snow is accumulating in the cuff of their jeans. Oh, that makes that uh, makes sense. Now, why he went there with it, I don't know. <laughs> but, okay, so so I'm I'm just on uh, Genius.com and apparently a quote from Berman uh, later on. He says, "Come shows up three times on the record. When I was a kid, I always used to say the phrase "come bucket." It may be pictured in my mind." slopped over the edges, et cetera, et cetera. It is a very private issue, and the natural bridge has a lot of privacy issues going on inside. So while your <laughs> vi- visual imagery is probably probably somewhat accurate, it seems he just had a little bit of a yeah. obsession around this time um, in his life. Uh, I-, I will say that uh, in general, I mean, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I think when we compare maybe Berman's interviews to uh, Darnielle's, he may be a slightly more unreliable narrator Sure. In general, than Darnielle is, um, you know, and and I think part of this, like Dallas, that I like is like you know Dallas, you shine with an evil light, is like, uh, you know, he he definitely cleaned up and and got back into drugs many times, I think, in his life, and I, I think there's something about 
him just being drawn to like the evil of the city or, you know, maybe where bad things happen for him. Yeah. But still sort of mm-hmm. like under that mm-hmm. spell. I mean, yeah. an overall sense, and this is, this is maybe, you know, some, I am, I am maybe inventing something here, but the vibe I get from this whole album is just like a guy who can't find like peace or success anywhere. You know, like, like hmm. it's the, I don't know. I guess there, there, there are things that sort of mention travel, like Albemarle yes. Station and Dallas, different cities and like specific places. But in none of those places is anything like good ever happening. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I actually, the, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I was thinking sort of similar things. Like, you know, in the first song, he kind of leaves home over, you know, disputes with his father. And then, you know, it almost seems like he is kind of wandering, you know. Yeah. And, you know, like. Not to like get too into the Judaism, but like the wandering of the Jewish people was is sort of a classic theme uh, mm. of literature. So yeah, and, I, and you know, with him, I, I don't. You can go too far with this stuff, but it would not surprise me like how deep he would maybe get in his mind about some of these sort of parallels and illusions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I want to. Can we hear a little bit more of Dallas? Because I think the joke that we we talked about the aluminum thing is so funny and like. Oh yeah, that's a good. Great, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's Dallas again. He was a big football fan, and that kind of pops up at various places in his writing too. Hmm. Which is, yeah. Do you want me to skip ahead a little bit? See if we can't get closer to that sure, line? Yeah. Or you want to just listen yeah. through? No, it's fine. Here we go. Oh, Dallas, shine with an evil eye. Jump ahead a little bit more. The building's made a mirror. Here we go. Why am I drawn to you? Watching the makeup girls make out with the mannequins. Hey, boys, suffers on me. Our record just went aluminum. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think he ever sold. I mean, he sold records to a degree, but, you know, I think he was also mm-hmm. haunted by not feeling like he was uh, as appreciated or successful as he wanted to be. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. I was reading about that because. For his first album, two of his collaborators on that were members of the band Pavement, which was yes, which yeah. was huge. So he sort of attributed all of his success to the fact that people thought that uh, Silver Jews was basically a Pavement spinoff project, and that none of his yeah. none of his fans and none of his praise were his own. Yeah, which is really odd. I mean, I think you know he was fairly obviously very neurotic, but um, uh, you know he was one of those people that when he died the on the day on Twitter it was like you know some people have almost this like outsized response to their death on Twitter like above and beyond how well known they were and like a lot of people were really weighing in on this so I think it's it's unfortunate maybe he didn't feel that way in his life um yeah I mean it's his whole it's just a tragic story around him pretty much every step of the way right like just in terms not only the end of his life but then also the way, uh, like all the problems with re- even recording this album, I was reading about, right? Yeah, hmm. I believe he kind of had a 
I mean, they 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 um actually reconciled, and um his next album after this, Steve Malcolm is from Pavement, plays on it a lot and helped write. So, but at this point, I think he did have some sort of like blow up in the studio with them and kind of like walked mm. out or something. Um, but yeah, let's um this one I, I wanted to play just because this is like throughout his career, he kind of like. He likes to play off almost like the cliches of like classic country music in certain ways. And I think this is like the most explicit version of that, the golden age of missing you. Hmm. Which to me is kind of like a country music, like old breakup song kind of thing. But, uh, you know, in, in his kind of odd way. Yeah. Okay. Here is Inside the Golden Days of Missing You. Inside the golden days of missing you. I believe that's a sports reference. Cleveland didn't have a championship in pro sports for 50 years (laughs) until 2016. I mean, also, it's Cleveland. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they've they've had some rough times. It said, hey, it said, I know. What's your name? What's your name? Jason, I'm curious about how the Silver Jews are resonating with you. You know, I did not find, like, I don't find myself um, drawn to Pavement or, uh, like, a lot of Associated Acts just because I didn't, like, listen to them in the times that probably would have been most impactful or that would have stuck with me most. Um, like, you know, high school, college age. Mm-hmm. So when I find an artist that sounds like this, sort of this like slow country, you know, proto sort of little bit of punk, little bit of rock type sound, uh, like, like pavement ended up having, it takes some time yeah, for me to get into it. And this was no exception, um, where it's not a first listen, kind of like your experience. Like it's not a first listen, fall in love type record for me. Yeah. Um, it was only after, uh, and, Matt's right. This is mostly talked about lyrics. It was only after looking into like what each song is saying and sort of like the tone that it's setting audibly versus uh, story-wise or thematically that I was able to start saying, okay, this is the pieces are coming together and I'm starting to understand and like it a little more. Um, it, I, I don't know why it might just be something that's broken my brain. It's harder for me to get into music where the, where the vocalist sometimes sounds like as I don't want to sound enthusiastic, but just like as slow and a little bit more, like much more reserved, less uh, energetic, I guess. Yeah. Like with the mountain goats, he's all over the place at times. In this, I think Berman stays within like a range of maybe five or six notes for the entire record. Yeah. Um, you know, oddly, it's definitely a style. I get it. The odd part too is that, you know, Purple Mountains, which can almost seem like a, you know, suicide note listening to it mm-hmm. in, in retrospect. But I mean, it really actually was his kind of most access- accessible album and sort of more. Well, um, yeah, like professionally kind of produced and, and everything. So it was kind that's, of an interesting, uh, that's what set me up for, um, for listening to this actually was the fact that I remembered for our 2020 new year's episode, you and I picked songs to just leave with the community yep. and yours was purple mountains. Uh, snow is falling in Manhattan, I think. Yeah. That's and a, that was, that was probably the first that I listened to Berman at length. Any, and that was a very recent song, like 2019 yep. or something. Right. Yeah, for yeah, sure. So, I, so Joe, I, I'd say if if you want to check out more, American Water is probably the most accessible of the Silver Jews record, and then Purple Mountains is really kind of an amazing piece of work um, lyrically, and and it, it's probably his most polished work in some ways. Um, 
But uh, I think we should head to, I mean, to me, the Frontier Index and then Pretty Eyes to end. Um, Frontier Index, this just has a lot of um, things I love about him. Uh, kind yeah. of just absurdist kind of jokes about, <laughs> I don't know, existential kind of absurd jokes. <laughs> and, and this kind of doomy quality without with sort of a, an oddball sense of humor about it. So, um and, and the, the robot line is one of his, you know, very famous lines. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. this was in 96. And now, you know, this some of these things uh, seem less far away <laughs> than, yeah. they, than they did then. Um, but anyway, let's play it. just like that is pure gold <laughs> i mean that that like just phrasing this like very kind of like doomy sci-fi thing in, in the like the classic a guy walks into a bar yeah. form and just like someday you will like you know and now in in 2022 it's like <laughs> how far are we from that you know well and not only that i think the word serve is sort of doing double duty there right oh totally is serve no yeah it's totally like we're gonna serve the robots eventually you know yeah and then this part about the trucker, I think that's coming up. You know, with the freedom convoy that was just happening and stuff. Mm. Like I don't mm-hmm. know, mm. it's weird. Yeah, we we passed it, but the line says this trucker says it's good to be free. Says he knows lots of folks who agree. <laughs> Bumper stickers talk to him. Say let the stars get in your eyes. Oh, he mentions come again in this song. Yeah. Time comes, sand and surf. These are the building building blocks of life. <laughs> Oh, let's let's rewind this because we need to get this joke too. Yeah, that's a good line. Like this is like the uh, a little bit farther back. Just like, <laughs> I mean, it's so clever. It, you know what I mean? Just, and to kind of just, that's one of the things I love about Silver Jews in general is he's just sort of like almost morose sense of humor that just like pops out of like songs that feel very like dark in a lot of ways. And, and just mm-hmm. even the odd kind of dirty like stuff kind of has that effect of kind of shocking you out of whatever, you know. Wanna say something true. Yeah, and then, you know, that I think that's a nice line. I want to say something true. Yeah, that was that was another moment. I'd mentioned Dan Byrne earlier. That was a moment that really reminded me of a song of his. Yes, yeah, I'm excited one, to check him out. Yeah, he has 
It's on that album that I recommended, 50 Eggs. It's called One Thing Real. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this album kind of builds to these last two songs in a lot of ways. I think that they have mm-hmm. a lot of the themes, and then um, this is kind of the jam out at the end. But we, we should, uh, Pretty Eyes is the, the last song, and this is just, a, I think, a really a, a beautiful song and uh, another lyrical uh, triumph for him. Okay, here is Pretty Eyes. Everybody wants perspective from a hill But everybody's wants can't make it past the windowsill I can see you in your room at night Pictures on your wall Little forest scenes and high school Halloweens, but they don't come to you. They don't come to you at all. All houses dream blueprints. Our houses dream so hard. Outside you can see my shoe prints. I've been dreaming in your yard. That whole verse is so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then All- just one of these days, these days will end. Is like yeah. such a the kitchen window. The light will bend. You'll be carving a pumpkin with the knife. When someone at the table says, "That's not what I." Call the life The elephants are so Ashamed of their sides Closing them down I tell them you got this <laughs> Just the idea of him like You know, trying to make Elephants have better self-esteem Yeah It's just like so cowboy Oh, and this rhyme is rough My dog for a hoop and say now boy now boy yeah, it's cowboy like, with now boy <laughs> this is a great line too the state bird falls from its branch icicles on hell's higher hills meanwhile back home at the ranch but uh, I'll just talk over this but this last verse, I think, really kind of makes the album for me because it's almost this like early in the morning. I don't know, more open-hearted, kind of kind way to like end the record in some ways, or hopeful in a way. I believe that stars are the headlights of angels driving from heaven to save us, to save us. Well, and that thing about them being the headlights of angels is much more optimistic than he says something about starlight earlier in the album that is yeah. much more cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Final, final words are so hard to devise. Yeah. Promise that I'll always remember your pretty eyes. Your pretty eyes. But yeah. That, See, I think um, the line you're talking about, Joe, is uh, the stars don't shine upon us. We only stand in the way of their light. Exactly. Yep. Which is like really. I mean, you know, and, and like I said, it, you know, I, I hate, hate to get too down the kind of autobiographical thing with a guy that I think probably took a lot of pride in like creating poetry but 
you know, I feel like a dark end was hovering, uh, you know, around this band in some ways, you know, in the, in the even like final words are so hard to devise, you know, um, this yeah. is hard not certain lines like, or that scar, the stars line is, uh, it's hard not to kind of connect those things just because, uh, sometimes they are kind of brutal, like imagery in their way. Yeah. So I'm curious, you took, you took that as a more hopeful ending. The thing about I'll always remember your pretty eyes. Well, kind of, I mean, Maybe I, not. I don't know. I, don't, I thought I mean, the headlights of angels was more like yeah, hopeful. I just the the pretty eyes part, and and I could be wrong, but like it's. I mean, you have to make the connection to when he was talking about like trying to make a big dumb elephant feel better about itself by saying it had pretty eyes. Yeah, but I mean, they kind of do. They have like nice eyelashes. I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I'm just like if, if he's <laughs> if he's talking to another person, I yeah, like, I, I think he's, he's talking to a person. Yeah. So so it seems like it's maybe. I don't know if disingenuous is the right word, but he's already sort of admitted that like, this is what I tell elephants to make them feel better about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I see that, but I, I but, don't know um, for sure. That's just, that was just my read of it, you know? Well, I mean, he's, de- you know, that's kind of the thing I think that sort of has always kept me back to this band is just, you know, I don't think, the, I don't think you'll arrive at like certainties about his lyrics ever. No. And that's, that's something I, I, I liked about it a lot. You know, like, so when we were talking about Heretic Pride, this was a rare situation where John Darneal had like liner notes and stuff to pretty explicitly explain or at least contextualize some of these things in a way that he doesn't normally do. And I liked the transition of going to Silver Jews, which like he's, you know, Berman is a lot more elliptical in his style, you know, both in terms yeah. of <laughs> both in terms of the obscurity and the economy of language about it, you know, and I, I, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. I like that you can get a feeling for a story without necessarily being able to point to a thing that it is like, oh, this is a narrative that things are happening within clearly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 glad you got some out of this. I I was actually it's funny because both things you've said it was why I was on the fence is like I could totally see Joe not liking this or I could totally see Joe liking this. So <laughs> I guess it kind of ended up to be both in certain ways. So yeah, um, I, I, I'll say like, I am very glad that I listened to it. Um, and yeah. you know, and in a lot of ways too, cause it actually drove me to, I listened to a pavement album after this too, oh, just to yeah. be like, Which one? Oh, uh, wowie zowie. Oh boy, Joe, <laughs> you challenged. I mean, <laughs> I love wowie zowie, but that's kind of like, I mean, well, so the you challenged reason, yourself with that one. The reason I did that one is because I think that approaching this album by the Silver Jews, I think that would have been the one, the most recent Pavement album. Yeah. That's, so I kind um, of, I, I wanted to approach it from the context of like, sure, what would a yeah. listener know about Pavement coming into this too? So Yeah. No, I love Wowie yeah. Zowie. I would say like, if you wanted to give him another chance, check out Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Um that's like a far more accessible entry point or, oh no, maybe even br- actually bright in the corners. Maybe oh, that would okay. be a good entry point, but yeah, I, mean, I love Wally's out, but that's definitely their most kind of shambling sort of like, uh, <laughs> out, you know, they go a lot of places on that record. So I, I mean, I'm glad you listened to it. That's great. But I, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be the one I would try to sell somebody on the band with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Joe, do you have time to stick around for, we got some, uh, I know we got some, uh, questions from readers and a, oh, a reader yeah, pick? Ab- absolutely. I'd be happy to. Awesome. 
Well, then let me reiterate for listeners that uh, this is a show on the MinMax network. It is free and available to the public. But if you support MinMax on patreon.com slash MinMax, that's MinMax with two N's, M-I-N-N-M-A-X, you can get uh, access to posts that we ask for, or excuse me, that we put up before every episode where we ask for questions and song suggestions. Um, Suggested songs go into a playlist on Spotify anybody can listen to, and questions get asked on the show. Uh, We actually pick one of those songs at the end of every episode, and I'll reveal that once we're done with questions. But uh, the first question that we've got from this week. Actually, I'll just mention that uh, comment about Purple Mountains goats. I have to cite that directly. That was I'm Ryan on that was, Patreon. That was Thank a good so one. Much, and Ryan. it almost would have really worked. One. I was kind of floundering between the two at the last second. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was disappointed in myself, even though technically we're not covering Purple Mountains. It's a it's a good recognizance. Thank you very much. I'm Ryan for that. Uh, but the second one uh, is from Jordan Greer, who says that if you just want to excuse me uh, to Joe specifically, oh, yeah? if you uh, if you like mountain goats and video games, you should check out John Darnielle's books. They are good reads with themes of escapism. Uh, says Jordan, have you read any books by John Darnielle? Um, you know, Joe? so I bought both the Devil in the White Van. Or wait, is that what it's called? Wolf. Yeah, yeah, the wolf in the white. I'm getting confused. The wolf in the white van and Universal Harvester, and I never actually got around to reading them. But uh, my hold on Devil House, which is his most recent one, is like two weeks away from being ready for me at the library. So very, yeah. very soon, I will, I will have one of his books under my belt. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I've meant to, and I haven't, and I'm trying to re-engage with reading. I think my reading got really bad over COVID. I just kind of would put on TV and just sort of like zone out. So I'm trying to get back into reading. I'm reading that three body problem book right now. That's really good. But um, anyway, yeah, I I intend to, but I have not. Okay. Well, that's another recommendation from Jordan uh, to actually read them guys. Maybe (laughs) if you do uh, get back in touch. Well, I mean, I I would say that they've, they've definitely been praised far and above what a book, you know, a book by a rock star, or not a rock star, he's not a rock star, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> a book by a notable musician would get a certain amount of attention for the novelty factor. Mm-hmm. I feel like these, like, I've read things like, in the New York Times, and I feel like these are considered, like, really good books above and beyond, like, his reputation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, my friend Harry Mackin, and former uh, Game Informer intern, um, he has read a good few number of his books. I'm not sure about all, but uh, he recommends them highly, says that it's a very unique writing style, and that he's really enjoyed all of them. So... Uh, recommendation after recommendation to actually read those books. Um, White Max on uh, Patreon says, or excuse me, asks, in your opinion, uh, what makes a cover good or bad? And can you give examples of each? Um, Joe, anything spring to mind? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have very specific criteria about things that I want from a cover because like, I don't want a cover. It, it, it's, it's a very delicate balancing act because I don't want a cover that sounds too much like the original, but I also don't want mm-hmm. a cover that just like is unrecognizable. Right. So I want, I, I want that thing that sort of in kind of invites a reinterpretation of it or something like, I don't uh, like, okay. Like, I know what like, you mean. I think I know what you mean. It's like, if you, like, think you of, have to put a stamp on it, but not like being purposely don't, sort of yeah, obscure. Don't go nuts. So like, actually um, I don't know so back on the mountain goats thing, you know, they uh, did a podcast a while back. Well, John Darnielle did with uh, Joseph Fink of the, the welcome to night Vale folks uh, mm-hmm. did a podcast called I only listen to the mountain goats, which, which <laughs> is them, them going through the, the album, all hail West Texas song by song. Like every oh, song, every song is an episode. And 
Uh, they sort of talk about the process behind each song, which it ends up just being a lot of them going off on tangents too, which is great if you like both of those guys, which I do. And, but this comes, comes around to one of the like gimmicks of the show is they have someone cover each al each song on the album. Someone different covers it. So in that case, like a good cover, I think uh, if you know, Dessa, she covers yeah. she she covers the song Balance on there, which is I think exactly what I want from a cover, which is like like it's definitely recognizable. It retains a, the the sort of feeling, but it also makes it feel like a Dessa song also. So I like I love that yeah. one. But and, and Matt, I know you'll love this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know you know the song The Mess Inside off of that album. Uh, they uh, ha- off. Dessa or, uh, or no of, off of all hail west texas oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah there's so many the, good songs on all hail west texas despite like it's very you know lo-fi, lo-fi but yeah it's really a great record yeah that's a great song but amanda palmer covers that one oof Don't and even get me started <laughs> and i did not like that cover so and or and then i just 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 of you know everyone always mentions like johnny cash is hurt or like Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. I think those are the yep. like those are the like top tier your best covers out there. I really like um uh like my f- I apart from those, one of my favorite covers is a a woman that I found on YouTube. I don't even remember how. I think it was just like a link getting passed around, but uh her name's Daniela Andrade and she does a cover of the Gnarls Barkley song Crazy. Oh, no, I've no, I've never heard that name. Which uh, so like crazy is the sort of like upbeat funky song, yeah. And well, yeah, I know, I know crazy. Yeah, she and she turns it into this like really sort of like sad and poignant and thoughtful song in a way that really surprised me. So I would recommend that one. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of brought up some songs that are kind of like was my main thrust was like I guess the ultimate covers is when it's like the, you just take the song, you know, like. Uh, 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 like Jimi Hendrix's uh, cover of All Along the Watchtower by Dylan. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a Jimi Hendrix song now, right? Or yeah. Respect, Aretha Franklin uh, covering Otis Redding's Respect. Like, once she did it, it was an Aretha Franklin you know, song like yeah, forever yeah. after that. So I guess that's probably the ultimate tier where it's almost like, you know, you... Where people like, don't even know their covers anymore. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the ultimate covers yeah. are probably the ones that people don't know are covers, right? Because you've you've just embodied it so much where it kind of overshadows the original. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I know what you're saying, Joe. Is like to to put a, a spin on it. Because um, if you go if you go too uh, too faithful, you just are sort of like a slightly off version of the original song. Yeah. Like um, a few years it, ago, there was that. There was that version of Zombie that was playing on the radio. Yeah. I don't even know the band, but some some modern band, you know, covered Zombie and it just was like it was bad because it was like too close to the original but not good in its own right and anyway, I don't know. Yep. No, I think we're on mm-hmm. the same page. I know what you're saying. It's a tough balance, you know, to uh unless you have that sort of force of personality of say like a Hendrix or an Aretha where you just like this incredible performer you know what i mean that uh but few yeah. few sort of have that sort of uh, charisma i guess uh just to throw it out there best uh the band's cover of the bruce Spring- Spring- springsteen song atlantic oh, that's city a good is one. that's a really good one by 
far and away for me the the better version uh and probably the worst cover i've ever heard calling back to a previous crossfade episode Greta Van Fleet's cover of A Change is going to come by Sam Cooke. That's what just, you keep really shitty, up. disrespectful. Like, you just know what needles me, gonna, don't you, Jason? Like, even the I'm existence. Just gonna, I know that it's a sore point. I'm just going to hey, keep just, sticking a salty finger Jason, in it. Jason, you should just cue it up. Let's listen. To it. No, I don't want to hear it. It's just, this is just. I think Matt might leave. The, yeah, I'm, 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 see ya. Sorry, guys. Gotta run. I got another podcast. Uh, yeah, but you guys, you guys cover that one pretty well, I think. Uh, sort of the, the needle you got to thread and. When you do, it's really worth it. Um, okay, so our next question comes from Keys Case Mulder, who says um, that uh, John Darniel obviously has one of the most distinctive and instantly recognizable voices, at least in like modern folk rock where he exists. Um, the Tallest Man on Earth is another comparison that Keys makes, uh, or the singer from Alt-J, even with that sort of milky, hunger type voice. Uh, how important do you find having like a very u- unique, distinct voice? And uh, what are some of your favorite... Uh, examples of that in in music um we'll start with matt yeah i mean you know there's obvious ones like dylan you know you know i guess if, sure. if you're if you're capable of being parodied you probably have a pretty distinctive voice in some ways um <laughs> but you know like there's a lot of people like, one i'll bring up that is probably off the bean as uh is a rapper from the 80s and mostly the 80s uh called slick rick um you might know the song children's story by him it's the basis for this is how we do it um by montel hmm. jordan but uh, he he grew up in england so and just an era when rap was very much like, you know, Run DMC, like, I'm the king of rock kind of, you know, thing. He had this very almost kind of soft British accented voice, um, kind of almost a shy thing. And it was just very different in um, in hip hop at that time. Um, so he's one I think about. It's a guy by the name of Marky Smith from the British, long running British band The Fall, passed away a few years ago. He's a very like distinctive vocalist and I won't try to describe it, but. You know, once you hear them, you know it. Um, those are a couple that I really like. Yeah. I mean, for me, I because I get so into a lot of like story driven or like narrative driven songs, it just turns out that like a lot of the bands I listen to tend to have more of that like offbeat vocal thing going on. So like um like Colin Malloy from the Decemberists, uh Craig mm-hmm. Finn from the Hold Steady. John McRae yeah. from, from Cake, Tom Waits, um, or like, and even like a Nico Case, I think has a very distinct voice. So those are, yeah, those she are, is a, mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, she, she's such an amazing singer, like the power of her. Yeah. Uh, and if, I mean, it's also, I was really surprised the first time I saw her live, like she is so tiny to see, like just physically she is this tiny person with just this enormous voice i don't know it really it really sort of surprised me um so yeah nice uh so i wanted to know for both of you guys um joe you called this you called the mountain goats one of your favorites of all time uh and i that got me to thinking what i guess what uh how do you how long do you have to listen to an artist before you sort of know that they're cemented there is it just one day you realize I'm listening to a lot of them. They're probably one of my favorites, and now they're one of my favorites. Or is there like a certain certain time frame you give it before you're like, yeah, this is this has made the the upper echelon. I mean, for for me, it tends to it's, it's like long, longevity is really the real thing because there have been a lot of bands hmm. over the years that I have like gotten sort of obsessed with, but I kind of chew, I right. sort of chew them up and spit them out, right? Like I get very. <laughs> like a parasite that just sucks all the nourishment possible out of them and then discards <laughs> the husk. Like, you know, I, I, I was telling Matt, I was telling Matt earlier, like 
They Might Be Giants is a band that I was really, really into for a very long time. But realistically, I don't know that I've listened to much of them in the last, you know, 15 years. Right. Yeah. So, well, sometimes you sort of so fully digest a band, like at a certain point in your life that it's like, you just, yeah, you just consumed it so much. Like you can't really get more out of it. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've cleaned your plate, you finished the meal at some point and there's, and there's nothing left. And, And I think there's something left for, you know, something about that too. But I mean, for me, the mountain goats, the reason they, I can like confidently say that they're my favorite is that it's just you know, I've been listening to them, to them for what, between 15 and 20 years now, whenever, whenever Matt pointed mm-hmm. me in their direction. And it's just been, mm-hmm. they've just been a fixture. Like if yeah. you were to see my Spotify daily playlists, the percentage of those that are mountain goats is like, is ridiculous. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, it can, you know, I've had the extremes, you know, from literally one song, almost the first time I heard it just sort of like stopping me dead in my tracks to like certain artists that I know are very like well-regarded by people that I, you know, know and stuff like uh, the fall was a great example. It probably took maybe 15 years or 10 years of like trying with them. Uh, some oh, wow. you know jazz I've gotten a lot more into um, like bitches brew by Miles Davis. That probably took me like a decade to really truly like get, you know, so it can really vary for me. And other things I've just heard, like, you know, with the mountain goats, I think the first ever song I heard was like, but uh, the best ever death metal band from Denton and that was just like I love this song you know what I mean and it was just like almost mm-hmm. instantly so yeah damn nice uh okay then let's ask from Cade Mead uh once well actually this wasn't a question it was I turned it into a question um they just prompted by saying that uh, they wanted to personally put Darnielle down as the Dylan of our time that got me wondering like is he I don't know enough about mm. uh Mountain Goats or Dylan to to tell like does this guy occupy the same space as Dylan did 30, 40 years ago? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it, Dylan's impact in, in, in the sixties, like, you know, I mean, I love the mountain goats for sure, but there's, there's still somewhat of a niche, you know, thing I think to a degree where it's like, you know, Dylan, you know, stuff like blowing in the wind and uh hard rain's going to fall during the civil rights movement or just, you know, when he went kind of electric, like those were, pretty culture shifting moments, I think in music. So, and also I just don't, I don't see him as very similar writers to me at all, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, Dylan's Dylan's just a cultural force, like force for change in a way that I feel like John Darnielle is not. Well, and I just don't know if things can really be like that anymore, you know, just the way culture is now. Uh, It was just, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I don't think John Darnielle is going to win the Nobel prize. You know what I mean? It's, It's great of a, but writers, I think that he is. I just think it's it's just two different sort of levels to me, you know. Matt, what's wasn't right. there a great story about someone asking Bob Dylan if he thought he was something, and he was just sort of shrugged? What was the? Oh, oh. I think somebody asked him like, "How is it hard to be Bob Dylan?" And he's like, "Who's Bob Dylan?" <laughs> and then he says like, and then they asked him, they kind of pressed him. He's like, "Well, I'm only Bob Dylan when I need to be Bob Dylan. The rest of the time, I can be me." So like, that's the other thing with Dylan. Wow. It's like what are you seeing and like, what is he presenting to you? And it's, it's always sort of hard to get to the bottom of like who Dylan is in certain ways, you know, cause he has so many kind of right. masks and certain Well, ways. sometimes, sometimes he's Timothy Salome. Sometimes he's a uh, Cate Blanchett, you know, I, it, I, it just, it goes, I like that right? movie actually. I mean, it wasn't a traditional, I think a lot of people didn't like it, but I like the attempt to have a weird kind of thing <laughs> that they did. That is, that is a nice twist on it. Um, well, Kate, I should say that's not, uh, that's not to say that he can't be, uh, 
he that he can't be Dylan to you. He he can be uh, your own. Oh yeah, and I, I don't mean that to denigrate Dylan. it at all. I just think that like the impact no, no. Is, is just it's sort of two different eras, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, different world. Uh, one mountain goats. Uh, Mike Lynch asks, "Hey Joe, uh, and I guess this question kind of applies to Matt as well. Um, but more recently, I guess as a longtime editor, did it ever bother you seeing people shorten words and drop punctuation in order to meet the character limit?" In their tweets. Is that something that, uh, I know that you're an exacting guy. Do you get, I hate that. Still a little pissed at that? Absolutely. I do. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like as someone who, and, and Matt knows about this too, but like when, you know, when you're writing, when you're writing for a magazine, you're not even dealing in word counts. You're dealing in character counts, right? It's like, Hey, this thing you're writing can needs to be 400 characters. So if you try and turn something in, that's 500 characters. You can't just like, shorten the words in weird ways you need to just make it fit you just you need to rephrase it you need to like you know re rethink it recast some of your sentences or ideas to make it more compact so when i try and you know for me personally when i'm writing a tweet that's over character count then it's like i will never well i shouldn't i shouldn't say never i bet you can find some tweet of mine where i've done this in the past but as a as a general rule I will like scrap a tweet and start from zero again rather than post, you know, Y R for your or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sympathetic to Joe's position, but I think I felt like at a certain point it just became so prevalent that I don't want to keep rolling that rock up the hill. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. like, like put it this way. It's like a, you know, as an editor, like, uh, if it was Game of Thrones, it'd be like, you know, his watch has ended. You know what I mean? I'm just like, <laughs> just go and f- fuck up the English language now and just do it, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, going to be the guy out there, like, wagging my finger at people for doing it. But just personally myself, that's not a line I'm I'm willing to cross yet. You're just you're just stalking the timeline, Lovecraft and Brooklyning your way through people's <laughs> tweets, just hating them left and right. I can see that, actually. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, I got to say in my job as a writer, I get to be very, very prescriptive about language and I I find it easy to drop in my personal life to be less, less overtly that and more overtly when I'm getting paid for it. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be that specific, at least I might get some money for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Yokai Blotch, which top notch screen name, Yokai Blotch, uh, says, or wants to know if there are any movie game or TV soundtracks that you absolutely love, but you've actually never played or watched the source material for Yokai Blotch. It's a uh, Kartamari Damacy and the gravity rush two soundtracks, but never played the games. Um, Joe, anything uh, comes straight to mind about that? Boy, you know, I don't usually like, usually the degree to which I like a video game soundtrack is very often tied to how much I like the game itself. It like, you know, conjures mm-hmm. specific connections that I had there at the same time. The only exception and I can't even say that I loved this soundtrack, but the only exception is Dark Void. That old, uh, it was a PS3 360 game from, uh, what, it must have been like 2010-ish or so. Uh, that was about, it's like the Rocketeer, but a video game. Do you guys remember this at all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was done, it was made by Airtight Games, which uh, was the, was like, was this the one with like the climbing shooting? Yeah, with like mechanic? vertical cover was there. Oh, was there yeah, thing? that's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. Of. yeah. So it's it, it was made by the student. I don't think Kim Swift worked on it, but she went to Airtight Games and made Quantum Conundrum with them after, like you know. Anyway, um, 
but I have a connection to this particular soundtrack because Matt Miller enjoyed it. Uh, Game Informer editor. He's the uh, 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 magazine content director over there now. And he's my dungeon master. So we'd go over there for D&D sessions and he would have a playlist of all kinds of, you know, D&D sort of music in there. And he integrated the Dark Void soundtrack into our like general gaming playlist. So I got I got <laughs> to know many of those songs over many D&D sessions, even though I never actually played the game at all. Yeah, uh, for games, actually, Jason, since we did that thing with Bandcamp, uh, what was that game? Joe, Dan Tack was like a Jehovah's Witness about this game. Um, hmm. Jason, you have it in your um, your. Uh, oh, I have a, a game. Uh, Undertale. Oh, Undertale. Be f- oh, okay. Oh, yeah. that was I checked that out actually when I was in your Bandcamp picks, and I, that's mm-hmm. a really cool soundtrack. I never thought we'd get Matt into Undertale music. No, Holy I shit. Did. This it is was, a revolution cool. yeah. for me. I, yeah. I really uh, no, enjoyed that. It's one, famously one of, one of the best of like the last 10 years. I love that music. Yeah, a that's lot. a great no. one. Wow. I'm really and excited. Then, uh, for a movie, uh, one that's been like I, I'll L My Love, which is the is, uh, the Harder They Come soundtrack, uh, is a 72 Jamaican film that was, uh, its soundtrack was sort of, I think, one of the main things that really introduced reggae to the West and America in particular. It had like Jimmy Cliff, Toots and the Maytals, Desmond Decker. People like that, and so I've never seen that movie. I know they recently redid it. I think with Idris Elba, um, but um, I've never seen the original, and so that's just one that I, I really love as an album that I've never seen the movie. Ooh, I I did eventually see the movie Swing Kids, but for a long time I didn't, and that was all of the swing music I knew was from that uh, was from the <laughs> album, the soundtrack oh, to man. Swing Kids, the Swing Revival. Yeah, that's you like, can tell I went to high school in the '90s. So yeah, that'd be like I feel like I'm trying to explain like you know Latin to Jason here, the swing revival. <laughs> Once there was a time, Jason, when men wore funny rockabilly shoes and had Elvis haircuts. <laughs> I feel like traces of that exist in the modern ska and electro swing movements, but you know we'll get into that rabbit hole yeah. another time. Um. Yeah, for me, it was uh, Inside Lewin Davis. That soundtrack is incredible, very well produced, and I listened to it a bunch before I ever saw the movie. I did end up seeing the movie, but uh, I uh, you should check it out, Inside Lewin Davis. It's not on many streaming services, weirdly. I guess they keep pulling the rights from it. Oh, but, um, yeah, no, that's, I love the movie. I've actually, I, I remember the songs from the movie, but I never listened to the soundtrack, but I love that Really? Movie. Yeah, you ought to do both. It's uh, great in both experiences. Uh, two great tastes kind of thing. Okay, James Game Boy, uh, another dynamite username. Uh, asks, what are some actually good music videos? Matt, you've definitely shared your opinion on like, some yeah, good music um, videos in the past here before. What's one I was going to bring up, just because I thought it was so funny? It's like the band The Replacements, the great Minneapolis punk band, they'd been sort of pressured into doing a music video. They hadn't done one previously, and it was for their song Bastards of the Young. And uh, so it starts out with them. There are four of them on a kind of a dirty couch, just like smoking cigarettes. And like somebody puts on a, a record, and then the camera pans to like a close up of the speaker and stays there for like the next three and a half minutes. Hmm. It's just sort of like an, uh, a few <laughs> to like the record label kind of thing. Like here's your video, which I just thought was pretty like, good. It was a great video. It was a great joke. I thought, you know, wow. to do that's pretty punk. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I mean, my- there's so many videos can be simple to really complex. Like there's so, you know, I don't know. It's hard to place mm-hmm. a, I don't know, you know, like a, a formula for it, you know? Sure. My favorite Joe? my favorite music videos are usually just like little movies in their own right that have little or nothing to do with the song itself. So okay. like um 
uh, like a, a, a more old school pick is uh, Matt. Do you remember the? I assume Jason doesn't. Matt, do you remember the Fat Boy Slim video, Weapon of Choice, with Christopher? Oh yeah, Walken? that was that was a cool one. Yeah, so that's 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 a that's I don't particularly care for Fat Boy Slim or the song Weapon of Choice, but the video is just like Christopher Walken dancing like a madman in a hotel lobby until he eventually video. until he eventually actually starts just flying like they actually do wire work with him and he's just flying around and dancing in this video. So like it has very little to do with the song itself, but no, yeah, and that, yeah. that's a great that's a great one, Joe. I forgot about that video. That's so fun. Yeah, so that's that's one. There's also one uh, a band called Hot Chip has a mm-hmm. has a video called I Feel Better. That's basically just it's the story of the video is that there's a boy band performing for a bunch of teenage girls, and then a bunch of weird like science experiments escape and start like using lasers and stuff to obliterate the members of the boy band and the audience. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know what? That brings up one of my favorite videos. To me, just a pure fun song and video is a Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Too. Where they kind of are all have like, you know, it's like a 70s cop, you know, kind of show thing. And it, But it, that's just like a goofy one that's so much fun. And they all have like, they're having fun with their fake mustaches and everything, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, I mean, for the heavy stuff, I mean, more recently that uh, I, this is America, the Childish Gambino one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a powerful one. Famously yeah. good. Uh, then that wraps up our community questions segment. Thank you so much, everybody, for submitting a question. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash minmax and become a sponsor at any level of uh, pa- patronage, patreonship. Uh, we'll come up with a new digital vocabulary for all this in the in, in coming years uh, to get access to posts like that where we get to ask you, where you get to ask us questions and suggest songs for us to listen to. Um, like I said, one of the traditions here at Crossfade is to solicit songs from the community, pick one to play as our outro song and put the rest including this one, actually, I guess all of them into the Spotify playlist that is linked in the show notes. Um, this one I've <laughs> chosen is from Yokai Blotch, uh, Rum Pum Pum by Lee Jin Ah. Yokai Blotch says that Lee Jin Ah is a jazz pianist slash singer songwriter who makes K-pop music. I uh, love the vocals and instruments in this song. Did either of you get a chance to listen? This one kind of broke my brain. I'm just try- I was trying to understand like where it was coming from because it, I mean, obviously she had kind of like classical and jazz chops, but then there were sort of like metal parts that would come in and like, uh-huh. Really like almost like eighties like or seventies like soft rock like the Carpenters or like that kind of you know what I mean adult contemporary music of the eighties and then then like some serious jazz and some like it just was all over the place in this odd way but I mean everything fit together but I, I just I was having a hard time to understand like where it was all coming from in in kind of a cool way you know this is ten thousand percent preparing you for talking about uh, K-pop on a special episode I'm planning then because. K-pop does that a lot, switches genres and mixes in other stuff. Well, yeah, this, Uh, I mean, this, I can't articulate it in the same way that Matt did, but this song was real endurance challenge for me. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, not, you know, it's not for everybody. I I don't even know if I like it or not. I was just sort of like, huh. And then it would do something else. I'd be like, interesting. You know, just sort of like, I didn't expect that coming. So, which I I sort of like that. Yeah, it's always a surprise. It feels like you're listening to Prague. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Yorkai yeah. Blotch, for that. Thank you for everybody who suggested songs. Uh, and uh, that wraps up my segment. I'm going to shut up now. Yeah, Joe, this has been super fun hanging out. I'm so glad we could do this. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we, uh, you know, I, I know it was a little different, I guess, because we just sat and listened to a lot of words more than, yeah, <laughs> more, more than you, know, you guys normally do. But, um, but yeah, it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, dude, I really enjoyed listening to uh, to the, to the Silver Jews and getting exposed to some new music. So yeah, I yeah. I appreciate the recommendation there. Cool, man. All right, Joe. Thanks so much, and uh, take care. Let's uh, let's grab lunch soon or something. Yeah, right on, man. All right, and thanks to all you for listening. Uh, go to minmax.com slash or patreon.com slash. Ooh, I just suggested that minmax had taken over <laughs> Patreon. You know, uh oh, that's the yeah, shh. Don't tell our plans. Um, anyway, <laughs> patreon.com slash minmax and uh, you know support. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Again, again, boom.